Patrick. Yeah? Patrick. The, the guy with the radio voice isn't here. What do we do? I don't know. I'll just cover it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. Ready? <clears throat> the pace line is wearing cut-off jeans <laughs> and tank tops, riding side-by-side on a paved municipal trail, and getting passed by rollerbladers pushing baby strollers. How was that? <laughs> it was great. I, I I think we'll pull this off just fine. I'm going to try another one. We'll, we'll just use one of them. Okay, here, here we go. The pace line has just noticed it forgot to pack a new tube and CO2 cartridge after its last flat. <laughs> now taking a few deep breaths before making the call of shame. <laughs> no, sorry. I don't know. I'm sorry, man. it was great. It was great, I swear. Okay, yeah. Uh, so Michael Houghton isn't here because he is out in what Montana bear hunting? He's bear food. <laughs> he, oh, okay. I saw the word hunt and I saw bears. I didn't realize, I didn't know whether he was hunting or being hunted. Um, they like toothpicks. All depends on the moment. And yeah, he would make a fantastic toothpick. So Michael Houghton isn't here, which means it's just fatty and Patrick. And the inmates have taken over the asylum. That's, that's right. Which means, uh, and most people don't know. But Michael is by far and away the driving force of the pace line. And he is the guy who has tight transitions and scripts out uh, an outline. And, you know, sh- sure, it, there's, it's still mostly unscripted chat. But, but he's the guy who him, knows what he's doing. Yeah, without him, it's just going to be the two of us today. And I think we wrote some questions on a post-it. <laughs> Do you have the post-it? I lost mine. Oh, damn it. I lost the post-it. Oh, well. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> by now, probably there's been some intro music and let's go. Ta-da! So, <laughs> the pace line calls itself the podcast on two wheels, but acknowledges that an actual pace line is guaranteed to always have at least six wheels. <laughs> uh, true that. Yeah. Why do we call ourselves the po- the podcast on two wheels? That's embarrassing. This this should be the embarrassment episode. Let's talk about things that we're embarrassed about today. Bike related how, things how long about which we are embarrassed. Um, I have less than an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's start. I, I'm going to ask you some embarrassing questions, and then you ask me some. Okay, alrighty. And it's okay to interrupt each other. Ground rules are set. When did you lose your virginity? Oh, wait, no, that's not cycling star. <laughs> Don't make this hard for me to edit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just, you're going to make me cut stuff out, and man. I'm going to come back there and edit this. You're a, you are, uh, you're missed, Michael. We can, <laughs> we can just say that right from the beginning. So are you watching the Tour de France this year? Um, Uh-oh. That was I'm going to go with sort of. Uh, I was actually watching the stage last night. I had already seen the the finish of it, uh, which was pretty pretty cool, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, realized that as I was watching, it was like, oh, it's the kids' bedtime. And lately, we've been having some issues with kids freaking out in the dark. And so some of them are sleeping on the couch. Uh, some of them, we have two kids, all of the kids. All right. Yeah. Uh, and so I had turned the TV off without seeing much of yesterday's stage, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like it would have been, you know, eight years ago where it would just, that would have been an unacceptable outcome. I would have thrown kids into beds, strapped them down and watched the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, Life has gotten in the way in sort of the same way you're describing of the Tour de France. And technology has facilitated that. And this really is the embarrassment episode because you would think that a couple of guys who have bike blogs and bike news sites, and in my case, in addition to this podcast, I am also in the Cycling Tips podcast where they actually talk about pro racing. You would think we would know what we're doing. But the fact is... Social media has made it really hard for me to time shift. Meanwhile, I record everything on my DVR, so I can't pay attention to my social media stream during the Tour de France. And then I finally get a moment to watch the tour, and I'm like, well, this is six hours long. And a couple of days ago, 
um, my wife, like, did the nicest favor for me ever. She said, you only need to see the final three minutes of this, of this particular <laughs> one. And she did, she, she's like, I just finished it here. And she rewound it to the final three minutes and she was dead right. <laughs> it was like, okay, they just swept up the breakaway and it was an exciting finish. And I was like, wow, well, that was, that was really nice. And so it's, we have so much that facilitates watching. Um, but, then if you talk about it, then you get shouted down for spoilers. And, you know, I'm one of the people doing the shouting, to be clear. <laughs> but I don't know. It's just that it, it is – there is so much there that I'm getting sort of paralyzed by the amount. And I just don't. So I'm like, okay. So I watch the highlights, which is what we got back in the golden age of uh, – VHS tapes and, you know, half an hour on ESPN once, you know. Oh, dude, I'm thinking of the 1980s when every morning on my way into the bike shop before work, I would stop at this little muffin store that made amazing muffins. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and the cutest girls working there. Wow. Uh, sorry, where were we? Oh, uh, muffin store. I would buy the New York Times there. And, mm -hmm. you know, if we were lucky, uh, we would get one paragraph about how the stage went, and then you'd get, you know, the top 10 on the stage and the top 10 of GC. Uh, on really great days, you got the top 20 uh, on the stage and the top 20 of GC, you know, yeah. which would be about half a column, you know? And so I was praying for anything more than about an inch and a half in a column. <laughs> uh, and the, so that's sort of the technology part. Right, that you know, used to be we would have to stay up late or record it on VHS tapes. I do remember doing that, and now, you know, or, or catch it the next day in the paper if you were lucky. Now it is like fully pervasive. Right, you can watch it streaming. You can watch it uh, on cable. You can get a live stream in any number of ways, including on Red Kite Prayer. Let's go ahead and plug uh, the live guy update that you do. Well, that's but really at live update guy. So we we're just yeah. a, a link to. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, in any case, you're you are supporting that, and that's awesome. But there there is so much there, and you know, for for people who love it, that should be great, right? Which brings up the real question: Is has the race itself become less watchable, less interesting? Uh yeah. I mean, so? yes and yes and no. Uh, I'm, you know, this is one of those classic ambivalent things. I'm of two minds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can sit down and watch the racing and you know be enthralled, um, but the the ongoing doping scandal surrounding Grand Tour contenders um, is just so mind numbing at this point and so dispiriting. Um, you know, I mean, years ago, you know, in the age of Lance and going back, you know, in Durain, you know, the, the early EPO generation. Um, it the was, golden age of doping, I like right, to call it. Right, right. Yeah. It, it, it was sort of it was sort of an open secret. We knew stuff was going on. We had a, uh, a feeling that, you know, uh, at a certain point that it was most everybody out there. Um, and you just kind of rolled with it. And now... It seems like, you know, there are still two schools. I have this sense that, you know, the American-run teams really are making every single effort to be clean. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Sky, where people are kind of uncomfortable with how how successful they are, but they seem to be running a clean program. And then you've got, you know, Astana, where you're pretty convinced that <laughs> they're they're just not trying. Um well, they're they're trying kind of to well, hide they're, it. They're trying. They're trying to dope. Um, so it's it's this one thing where you know you're just waiting for, you know, it's not the other shoe to drop. It's the other 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 shoe to drop. We have you a know, big pile of shoes at this point. Yeah, and it's it's an odd number. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, I don't know. You know, seven armed, armed octopus. Octopus. Um, so I don't have that would be the same. Yeah, um, well, yeah. Um, 
I just, I don't quite have the same passion for it that I once did. I don't know um, if it's going to come back. This is, it feels like one of those really bad breakups where, um, you know, she apologized, you know, you're in the room together. Um, things are theoretically okay between the two of you. And you're thinking, I bet there's more punch out by the pool. <laughs> my, um, my take on this is less relationship related and more centered around me. Um, I too am not watching this as much. And part of it has to do with the technology reasons where it's like, okay, the amount of time I have and so forth. But part of it, I think is just that I'm getting older. Right. Um, and I have time to either ride my bike and maybe train for races, or I have time to watch other people ride and race their bikes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, also, I think that nostalgia is, and I don't know if you were getting into this really, but nostalgia is also so much more potent than, you know, the present. I think that because um, people were so superhuman seeming at the time, we still do remember that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I I began watching the tour back in, you know, the golden era of doping. And I, you know, that was my expectation of what great cycling was. People who went at superhuman speeds day after day and did amazing things every single stage. And now it's more like extremely strong people on an extremely difficult course. And that seems abstractly interesting but yeah. not as you know it doesn't grab me in the same way that said this is just the first week right and i think that i've had this complaint every single tour and you know maybe maybe once we get into the mountains i will start getting more captivated as you say yeah i mean i, I know that's going to happen for me um you know, I, to personify this in a certain sort of way, I feel like 2016 is trying to race like 2003, and I'm not willing to believe that. And I, you know, it's not really what I want to watch. Although I really enjoyed 2003 as it was happening, I, you know, I'm not going to try to be a revisionist and say, "Oh, I always hated Lance." It's like, no, I really want. I enjoyed watching him back then. Hell, what everyone I, did. Yeah. Uh, but what I'd really like to see again, I mean, if I'm going to put it in these terms is I want to see like, you know, 1985, 1986 and not specifically Le Monde, you know, but I want to see that era from the seventies and eighties when guys would blow apart spectacularly. And suddenly you'd see a guy sit down on a climb with a cadence mm-hmm. of 11, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and you you know, it would be apparent for even non-cyclists, oh, something just went wrong with him. He threw a rod. Um, yeah. It's more relatable when you see that because yeah. we've done that, right? Yeah. The, the drama and the uh, connectedness uh, yeah. is what sort of drew what drew you in back then. Now they are racing so smart and so scientific that it um, it's interesting in the same way that Baseball is probably interesting to people, right? I say this as someone who has never been to a professional baseball game. No, wait, I've been to one. <laughs> I've, I've been to one as well. Okay. So we're, we're obviously not the best people to make that comparison. We're, we're not, but you've heard people talk about it, right? It's a, it's a game of statistics and logic and math. And I mean, you know, those, those are true for pro cycling now. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I like math um, and I like analysis, um, but I like it way after the fact. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I'm busy actually watching bike racing, don't talk to me about numbers unless it's like, you know, somebody's uh, FTP or something like that. You know, max heart rate, current wattage, uh, current speed, you know. Chain uh, inches. That's... No, I, no. I, no, no. <laughs> I say no. this is... I, I've spent so many hours 
thinking about chain inches during endurance races. I think, really? okay, I am in, I am in this. Oh, Cause you're a single speeder or, or oh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And I, I am thinking, okay, how many inches of chain are going to go under me during this hundred mile race? And I, you know, I pose myself that math problem and start, you know, start figuring it out, you know, fully allowing myself to be completely incorrect. But yeah, I think, I think that way. Wow. You are, I'm, I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say something maybe no one has ever said to you before. You're a complete freak. I am a, no, what I am is someone who is looking for anything at all to distract myself from what I'm currently engaged in, which is idiotic, right? Well, you, know, you pay all this money to be at a place, you train all year to do that thing, and then you spend your time there trying to think of, you know, doing, you know, ninth grade math problems. <laughs> it's re- the funny thing is, uh, you're not actually alone. Um so back in 1996, uh, I was, uh, to use a journalistic term, embedded in Shauna Hogan's Ram team. And in 96, that was the year that everybody thought Shauna Hogan's going to win the whole thing. This is going to be the first time a woman beats all the men at solo Ram. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen in spectacular fashion. Um, but in the meantime, I was, uh, I was embedded in her crew as her mechanic because I actually had that sort of ability. And she and I would talk. She had a microphone. We had a speaker. uh, We could talk back to her. She had a little earpiece. And we would have these conversations from time (laughs) to time. And then she'd say, "Um, well, I've been working on this problem. And she's a mathematician. She's a computer scientist. And she'll do differential equations in her head. Wow. Yeah, For that's entertainment. A, that's an order of magnitude different from what I'm doing, right? I'm doing multiplication. That's all. Well, you <laughs> So 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 you're third grade freak compared to her college level freak. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, that, okay. That's probably a fair distinction. Wow, we got away from the tour, which is what I wanted to do. Let's <laughs> um mission accomplished. <laughs> if if Michael were here, he would have cut this off so much sooner than than I just did. Do you think he'll even be able to listen to this episode? I don't know. I really want to hear what he thinks of it. <laughs> hey, Michael. Love you. Um, <laughs> Miss you, buddy. <laughs> n- not as much as our listeners do right now. <laughs> oh, man. We shouldn't have started drinking so early. Okay. So, let's... Next embarrassment topic, okay? Because that, that was <laughs> really sort of like, there? yeah, yeah, why should we? I, th- what is the single most embarrassing slash shameful thing you have ever done on a bike? You know, honestly, I'm going to have to give that one some thought. I'm reminded of an episode. Mm. This didn't actually occur on the bike, but it did be- occur because of the bike. But I'm reminded of... uh Ragbri in 1997, <clears throat> I was riding around Iowa with a whole lot of people, and the next to last town each day in Ragbri is where the big party is. So mm-hmm. you're you're five or ten miles from where you're going to sleep for the night, and that's its own party. But the people who really want to like tie it on and and want to get to tying it on as early as possible, it starts the next last town. Right. And so uh, I roll in there with some other people, and uh, I'd, I'd met a woman who was, uh, shall we say, kind of showing me the, the real charms of Ragbri. I The first two days, I was just riding around and, you know, going to the finish and, you know, getting dinner and that sort of thing. Uh, and she was like, no, you, you've got to come drinking with us. Um, and so what I remember is being on a reinforced luggage rack that had been turned into a kind of party deck on top of a school bus. And I've been handed a Budweiser that's about 33 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. And it was wonderful. And there's music blasting from somewhere nearby. And we're dancing. And then suddenly I stop. I have a really hard time picturing you dancing. Um, just a side note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people, please leave a, me- uh, please leave a comment. If you can imagine 
Patrick dancing. Continue yeah. with your story, please. So, so I'm dancing, and that's I, not the shameful part, right? Uh, <laughs> we're getting there. We're really close. Okay. Uh, and I turn to this person, and I I say, "Am I dancing to the Spice Girls?" So um, that's for me. That's uh, that's in contention. Yeah, um, but I, I probably have that beaten, and I, I just need to give it a little more thought. Okay, while while you think about that, I'm going to tell mine, and this is one that I have talked about in the blog before. But this is something that is one of those experiences that every once in a while it will come back to me vividly, and I will get a pit in my stomach just because I think about it's like what an ass I was at that moment. So, uh, this is the day before the Leadville 100, which has been and remains a very important race to me and to, you know, a thousand plus people every year. We're what now? 24 for 24? Oh no, I'm not that, I'm not that close. I am. No, no, no. I I mean like 24 episodes, right? And 24 mentions of Leadville, right? I believe so. Okay. okay. Yes. Continue. Yes. This time we're actually going, not just uh, not just sort of sideways mentioning it. This time there's an actual story in the day before the race. So I'm out with a few friends, and it's the day before the race, and we are just doing a keep your legs loose kind of spin, keeping it below, uh, you know, below zone two, just going easy, having fun, talking, relaxing, and I get this idea. Um, because a friend of mine, a couple of, you know, a a couple of years ago had as a joke, um, gone by me and grabbed my break, my right break and, and used it to push, you know, push me back and push himself forward as if, you know, we were doing a Madison on the track and, you know, propel him forward while of course making me stop short. And it had worked fine. You know, it, 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 it was a great gag when executed well. <laughs> I did not execute it quite so well. I just, you know, I'd never tried doing this before. I am Always not, the conditional when I executed am, well. Yeah, I am not a great bike handler. Um, I still am not. You know, I love the bike, but I'm not a guy who can do tricks. I'm not a guy who can, you know, ride around in a tight circle no-handed. I am just a guy who loves bikes. But I have this idea that this would be funny. You were riding along side by side, and I reach out without thinking about the fact that I am on his left. So I grab his front brake to do that and push back the effect, and, you know, push him back and sending myself forward. But it doesn't work out so well because I am pushing back hard and I've grabbed his front brake, thus bringing his front wheel to a complete immediate halt he starts endoing while he and with because of my effort of pushing back i have augured him in toward me and his (laughs) handlebar tangles with my seat post and so he endos and we're not going that fast but so he endos landing like a sack of potatoes over the front of his bike and because his his bar is tangled with my seat post, I go fall down to the right, landing on top of my bike, which has landed on top of him. Oh. So he is under insult to injury. The entirety of my weight, which is pressing to him via, you know, the you know, chain ring and chain and derailleur and handlebars and all of the sharp and very hard parts of my bicycle, you know, which didn't just like get set down on him, but rather came crashing down upon him after he had just done an endo over the front of his bike. All Lost of this, by you. exactly 100% by me. You know, he had nothing to do with this. Um, One question. Go ahead. How do I live with myself? How do I get up in the morning? <laughs> oh, no, I, I know that part's hard. I'm just curious. Are you guys still friends? We are still friends. His name's Bry Christensen, and we're still really good friends. I, I am lucky to man. have I am lucky to have friends who understand that I am an idiot, and and regardless, <laughs> nevertheless, are still friends with me. 
um, even more lucky. Um, he, while he was hurt, um, you know, you know, bruised a bit and nothing was busted and he was still able to put on a good race. And he and I actually finished that race together that day, uh, executing successfully, I might add a cool little figure eight, um, sort of, uh, Rockettes move, um, at the finish line. Um, so, I mean, the fact is he, he was the best natured guy in the world about it, but I, he still refers to it as the Elden Surge. Um, (laughs) well, you've earned that. And I, uh, still remember it with shame and have, uh, anytime I'm ever tempted to do jousting or anything like that, where I could wind up by trying something new, hurting another person, stop myself. <laughs> yeah. A, a buddy of mine has a story of, of the, you know, the age old reach down, grab the uh, down tube shifter and, you know, throw it into the small ring and then ride off. And he mis-executed it. And I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I, it was a, an Olympian or a pro, somebody big time. Uh, and he was, you know, um, a hot stuff, young cat one tries this and sends him to the ground, you know, just bloodied, bruised, uh, and you know, yeah, you know, big race coming up. Um, yeah. And he was like, I never did that again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So most embarrassing thing we've ever done. Check. Next thing on the list. Next question. Oh boy. Have you ever made the call of shame? Ever? Ever. Have you ever made the call of shame? Ever? Like this is even a question? <laughs> I mean, I th- I think I've made it once in every relationship at least. Um, I mean, I can remember a call. Is that how your relationships end? <laughs> like, honey? Rather miraculously, no. Um, although it could be a precipitating event. Uh, but I mean, like I can re- remember a call, I think it was the summer of 1989, uh, to my girlfriend. She was about to go out to lunch with a friend. I'm at a seven 11 on the outskirts of Memphis. Um, I'm at a pay phone, right? Cause it's 1989. I'm at mm-hmm. a pay phone calling her because I had just gone. If memory strikes me correctly, I had just gone over railroad tracks and broken a spoke and there was just enough spoke sticking through the nipple that it, uh, when it broke, it punctured the rim tape and punctured my tube. So I had a broke, uh, I had a flat and a broken spoke, you know, and was not going anywhere. Um, and I sat on the curb next to a family eating cereal as they were on the road in their old Valiant. Wow, how do I even remember that? But I mean, okay, so that said, call of shame, I've done it in the last month. I double flatted on Sonoma Mountain um, and, you know, was got, you know, was uh, out of tubes, you know, after the mm-hmm. second flat um, and didn't have any patches with me and uh, called my wife to come get me. She grabbed the boys, put them in the car. I I blew up her plans to take our oldest son uh, roller skating that afternoon. Um, and uh, worse, I made her wait by misunderstanding where I was. Um, I was at the I was at the edge of Jack London State Park, and it would have been slightly shorter and easier for me to walk back to the entrance to Sonoma Mountain Park uh, rather than walking to the uh, parking lot at Jack London State Park. I The parking lot was on the opposite end of the park from where I was, but, you know, the maps weren't showing up on the GPS. And so I was like, oh, I'll just walk, you know, I, I bet the parking lot's somewhere in the middle. And I was, I was wildly wrong. And uh, so, yeah, she waited for like 45 minutes for me to finish my hike. Ooh. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I am that flavor of guy. The call of shame compounded by a no-show. That's awesome. That yeah, is fantastic. I, I, yep, yep. <laughs> I I want to hear other people's call of shame stories. I think that we yes. need to have a full-on podcast episode of 
guest uh, of guest people. In fact, anytime we have a guest, we should have that be a standing question. Tell us about your most your work, recent call of shame, most recent or best call of shame. Yeah. So, I, I think you know, the question that I have regarding call of shame is: is any time you call because you need a ride a call of shame, or is it only a call of shame? When you are having to make that call because you are ashamed. <laughs> for me, that, you know, I've had to call because of double flats, you know, that, and I just like, you know, that's just sort of one of the calculated risks. And in the same way, I would not be angry at someone for needing a ride for that reason. I'm not particularly ashamed when I call someone asking for help because of that reason. The time I made a call of shame was. Mm-hmm. When I had flatted, and it was back in the very early days of tubeless road tires, and I could not, in the field, without, you know, an eight-foot-long crowbar, get the tire off the rim. I just couldn't. It was impossible. Plastic levers on a tubeless tire. Yeah, right. Like, you're going to accomplish that. It's simply, I worked at it sweating, you know, knuckles completely bloody. But in the end, I had to make a phone call and say, it's not that I don't have the stuff to change a tire, but I can't change a tire. I'm not man enough. (laughs) I can't. I am unable to get this tube, which I am holding, into this tire. Just can't. And, you know, and yeah, that's – that is, as far as I'm concerned, the single best argument against tubeless. Uh, on the road, and at least in that time. I haven't tried it recently. I don't know. Maybe things are a lot better now. In fact, let me ask you that. As someone who actually pays attention to that kind of thing, are, has the science of road tubeless progressed to the point where if you get a flat that without being a, you know, a bulky bodybuilder, you can get the tire off the rim now? So the only thing that has changed is that some rims have a deeper center channel. And so you end up uh, pushing the bead of the tire into that uh, that central channel, and that makes it easier to get off. That's more true in uh, mountain bike rims than road rims. Uh, I have yet to encounter a road rim where that's sufficiently true. Um, the, uh, the grail rim uh, is, is pretty good that way, but the smaller the tire, uh, the less that channel helps. All right. I'm sticking with tubes on my road bike then for, for the time being. You know, that's easy. There are just so many wheels, so many rims and so many tires that just aren't made for tubeless. Mm -hmm. And if you try to run tubeless with a non-tubeless tire and a non-tubeless rim, um, you're just somebody who's waiting for the day you're going to be at the ER. (laughs) <laughs> so wow we just had actual useful information in this episode of the podcast i thought we oh, made easy an ag- easy 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 we, there we had made an agreement that we would not let that happen okay okay, okay. no more screw-ups let's step away from that all right so here finishing up with the the call of shame which is more shameful to in, in the call of shame a bonk related call of shame or a mechanical related call of shame <laughs> well, uh, I've made the latter, but not the former. Really? You've never had a bonk-related call of shame? Oh, no. I, I, Good for you. I will, I will bleed out my ears before I call someone because I've bonked. So what you're saying is that the bonk-related call of shame is more shameful to the extent that you would simply – I mean, well, you've had many mechanical calls of shame. You've had no bonk-related calls of shame. So you see those as truly shameful. Um, No, it's not a shame thing. It's yes, just like it come uh, – well, maybe so. <laughs> For me. You know, to it, me, it's it. mostly just that, you know, oh, dude, suck it up. You can get home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, some of the stuff that I've done under bonks, um, you know – pretty pretty funny pretty amusing um you know yeah i've i've resorted to all sorts of stuff uh on under bad bonks but no i haven't maybe it's because when i bonk and i really go deep i'm too stupid to think of actually calling someone for help you're actually not lucid you're that bonked it has happened wow 
That's cool. It, I can definitely say that there were times where I was so far gone that it just wouldn't even have occurred to me to call somebody. <laughs> so, what is the most amazing thing you have ever eaten post-bonk? Uh, well, the most amazing thing I ever ate, ate immediately upon getting off a bike, I wasn't really bonked, but it was the last day... It was, it was after the last stage of a five day stage race, Killington, uh, back in the nineties. And, uh, <clears throat> pardon, my, uh, my then girlfriend had run across, uh, some, uh, some bakery or something or other, uh, bagel place and they had, uh, maple butter. Um, so Vermont, right. Mm. And she got me, uh, a bagel with maple butter and, uh, had that waiting for me at the finish. And there are actually photographs of me devouring this thing mid grin. Um, <laughs> your eyes rolled pretty... back into your head. <laughs> they did. Uh, they were actually doing laps as they rolled backward. Um, but I, you know, of all the things I have ever eaten upon getting off of a bike, that bagel with maple butter just tops all. Nothing else even registers. Mm. You know, it, and if you went back and had that exact same thing under normal circumstances, you'd be like, yeah, that's pretty good. No, no, you got to understand, <laughs> I'm a total maple fiend. So okay. maple is one of my favorite flavors in the entire world. And to get it at a point where I needed something, I, w I would have eaten chalk at that point. And to have something that was not only, you know, sustaining and reviving, but to have it be one of the greatest flavors ever in the history of the universe. Um, I, no it hyperbole. Was, I was, I was nearly in heaven. And so, plus there was this cute girl with me. As a Vermont guy, as a Vermont maple guy, have you tried uh, Ted King's untapped uh, maple uh, syrup uh, pouches during rides? I haven't used any during rides. I was at Sea Otter and just, you know, got a spoonful of some and tried it. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, we can do more of that. Yeah. I um, um I yeah, have I need some. I have a sponsorship deal with a feed where they advertise on my site uh -huh. and pay me in food. Um, it's an <laughs> awesome deal. Um, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I, I just tell them, you know, hey, I want you know, these things, you know, you know, I, I, it's not like I get an infinite quantity. We have a limit each month that they will send me. But a couple of months ago, I had them send me several of the Ted King untapped um, uh, maple syrup pouches. And I rode with them a couple, a couple of times. And I will just tell you that the following month, I had them send me 40. <laughs> we'll call that an endorsement. It's, uh, I, I am a goo rock tang guy. I swear yeah, by it. Uh, it has worked yeah. for me over and over, but I tell you having something a little bit different, you know, if, you know, I, and, and this is my practice now is I have like, you know, if for every five goo rock tanes, I have one, um, untapped maple syrup thing because just the difference in flavor it is not as powerful of a sweet it is a very uh you know it's a pretty light flavor and it's pretty thin it goes you know you can suck it in in uh you know one second as opposed to you know goo takes a few seconds right to, right. to right. squeeze through the opening you tear the you know the the syrup is just bloop and it's gone and it's you know it's it's light and it's good and i mean there. I'm not going to say anything about whether it has a better or less spiky energy um, feel, but but they're nice. I think Ted King has a he he has a great idea with this. So yeah, I I wish him well. I think I think it's great that uh, that someone is taking you know something that he cares about, thinks is great, and is making a business of it. Oh, I, I'm I'm down with that a thousand percent. And plus, he's just a really good dude. Yeah, I like really that good guy dude. so much. Yeah, come be on our come be on our podcast, Ted. We'll give dude, you a hug. Yeah, well, you know, next spring when when he better come back for the grasshoppers again. Um, yeah, that would be perfect. You know, right. and I love that he's got this second act to his pro career now. You know, going and slaying all these gravel events. Oh yeah, that flipping rocks. He's coming to Leadville too. I don't know if you knew that. 
And he's, I hadn't he, heard that, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, he's doing that with uh, World Bicycle Relief. He's going to be wearing a, a World a Bicycle record, Relief break jersey. Break a record, break a record. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how he does. I think he's going to be pretty uh, – I think he's going to lay down some serious hurt. Perfect. Uh, so, and I always I, – you know, when I fin- – as I am riding along – and, you know, I'm like at the 70 mile mark. And I think to myself, the winner just finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is so remarkably demoralizing. <laughs> I, I had a moment like that just a couple of weeks ago at the final uh, grasshopper of the season, uh, King Ridge Supreme. I was on King Ridge getting near the bottom of the descent going, you know, there are people on Willow Creek right now uh, rolling into the finish. You, sir, are so, so slow. <laughs> Actually, it may, I think it may even have rec- occurred on the rollers up on top of it, you know? Um, yeah. All right. Okay. I think we should do one more question. How about that? And this is going to be uh, kind sure. this is kind of, this is a rough one, but, you know, with all of this, it, it, with all of the car, bicycle crashes that we hear about, Something I think about pretty much every time I get in my car and go buy a bike is, what if I were the guy who actually hit a cyclist? And so, here's my question. Have you ever hit or nearly hit a cyclist while you were driving? No, I had one scare because somebody was being a complete pinhead. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to kind of sufficiently swerve and it was not a big deal. Um, Still terrifying though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, because, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. It's all, oh, look, the cyclist hit the cyclist. Yeah, see? You know, everybody would take it as, one, you know, I'm the worst cyclist ever. Uh, And then, two, you know, see, they're absolutely unavoidable and deserve to be hit because even a cyclist hit him, Mm. you know? And I figured, you know, me and and my reputation, my position in the industry, I figured that would just get blown up all over the place, (laughs) you know? Um, And so, yeah, I, I, I mean... As I was avoiding the dude, I was thinking, this cannot happen. <laughs> well, I'm glad it didn't. So I I have had one near miss, and I've had an actual hit. Wow. Yeah. So the near miss was probably the single most terrifying thing that has ever happened to me. And it, it was not at all my fault. But um, I was driving home, and... Uh, so I was in the neighborhood going at a reasonable rate, right? You know, uh, in a residential rate. Uh-huh. And there was, I was going by my next door neighbor's house. So I was one, one house away from mine, almost home. And I see a little kid looking just a little skittish. She, you know, both her feet are down, but she's looking, she's looking to me like, she might go right and you know she's on just a little bike and i'm thinking she might you know get on her bike and start going across me so i put on my brakes just to be a little bit careful you know a little extra careful just in case she goes i'm ready for it right yep and at the moment i do that her brother her older brother who was up on a grass lawn that sloped down and winds up in the street he went, you know, down the sloped lawn, you know, is a wee kind of thing. And because I was watching out for his sister, I was already on the brakes and he went right in front of me missing by, you know, and so that I missed him by probably a foot and a half. If I hadn't been watching for the sister, I would have got the kid almost certainly, or he would have broadsided me. Who knows? Uh, one of the two things for sure would have happened. And the thing is, the mom of both of them was sitting on her porch, and she just laughed and and said something like, I'm glad that you're watching for my kids, or something like that. She had no idea how close it was, or the fact that I had not seen her son, you know, hidden by another parked car up above at all. You know, he was completely out of my view. I, I didn't see him until he was in front of my car. Right, right. I would have been um, arrested for assault that day. 
Oh, I, well, I did to the mother. I, you know, I, I would have done that right after I would have thrown up. Well, that, and what I did is, you know, I, I just, uh, and, and you know, I parked <laughs> my car, not in the garage, just, you know, in the driveway because I didn't trust myself to park in the, you know, in a small garage. Yeah. And I just went inside and sat down on the floor and, you know, just, I don't, I don't believe I actually vomited, but I mean, I was on that threshold, right? Yeah. Where I was yeah, like, of course. I just, oh, I just couldn't do it. So that was, that was my near miss, uh, a lucky miss due to, you know, the fact that I was being pretty watchful and, you know, being, you know, I, I was, I was on the watch. I just got lucky that I, you know, I braked for one kid and thus saved another. Um, wow. The other time actually has to do with a kid too. And this time it wasn't me being clever or smart. I actually, a kid, I pulled out too far into a, uh, across a sidewalk, uh, out of a driveway and the kid just bonked right into me <laughs> and you know, broadsided my car. Um, and she just fell over. She was okay. Um, even so, uh, that was not a good moment. It's, it's, I, I, I thought to myself, it's like, okay. Um, and you know, I was lucky in that no kid got, I mean, she wasn't hurt. Her car, her bike wasn't even hurt. She just, mm -hmm. you know, going at a walking pace, she bonked into my car, but you know, in a way, it, I was lucky that that happened to me, and nothing and nothing worse happened because that was sort of a wake up call for me. And this was actually before I ever got into bikes. I was a, a young driver at the mm -hmm. time, you know, probably I don't know late teens. But ever since then, I was like, okay, you know, I, I got to be super careful all the time on a bike, and you know, having that fear of God that <laughs> put into you at a young age that was a good thing. So. Yeah, and you know, I, I felt deep shame. You know, since this is the shame and embarrassment episode, I felt deep shame that I had put you know I put my car in a position that even you know a kid she probably should have been able to see and stop. But the fact is, you know, it's not the kid's job to watch out for cars. Kid, kid's job is to be a kid, right? And, and, we, and we got to watch out for them. So you know, I've just been like Mister Safety Driver ever since. So there we go. Wow, that's. Going to end up uh, that one on kind of a serious note, but it's a serious thing. Um, yep. It happens so often, and I, I, I kind of wish that everyone could experience that mo that kind of moment of shame, like I did, where you experienced the potential consequences without experiencing real consequences. You know, in in my case, in both of these cases, no one was genuinely hurt. Yeah. And so I was lucky in that way, but I had a good understanding of what could have happened. Yeah. And, you know, it's made me into a pretty cautious driver ever since then. I think a lot of these uh, automobile crash, automobiles crashing into cyclists, I think a lot of them would be prevented if they could just have a sense of that coming into it. The, yeah. you know, but for, but for a nice piece of luck, I could have ended a life. Wasn't it somewhere in Asia where they were taking bus drivers and putting them on bikes just at the side of the road and then driving a succession of buses past them to let mm. them feel what it feels like? Wow. That was that was pretty genius. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Get a sense of, of the other side. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> ending on a bright note. Well, yeah, whatever. But <laughs> it's it's good to you know, it's good to talk about some of the serious stuff too, right? And, yeah. and some of the some of the real shame that can happen. And you know, I it's not I, I don't particularly relish ever telling people about the times that I, you know, nearly or in fact, you know, pinged a pinged a cyclist. And you know, and if I had actually killed someone you know, I doubt that I would be able to talk about that at all. But hey, you got to. You got to know what right. the shame is like. Yeah. Well, hopefully about. I never find out about that. Yeah. 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 For me, most of my shame is realizing that there's something on a bike I can't do and I actually need to go ask a shop for help. <laughs> Nine I, times out of 10, that's my shame. I have no shame at all in doing that. I have a fantastic bike mechanic and we have this understanding that. He works on my bikes and I pay him for it. 
<laughs> I mean, that's that's great and everything, but there's so much bike work to be done in my garage on a weekly basis that I simply could not afford to pay for all the mechanical work that has to be done. Hmm. Fair point. <laughs> and so with the rebuttal. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to fight you on it. I'm just saying if I, if I had to fix my own bikes, I'd have uh, a multitude of broken bikes. <laughs> it would be that simple. read that how you will yeah um <laughs> no no i when i work on bikes the bikes get worse it's that it's that simple that that should be my real shame is that i am a guy who has been riding for 20 plus years and i go to my mechanic for everything everything but i don't go to him anymore and this is the non-shame thing and i'm actually going to have what you no. don't go to him anymore? I don't go to him anymore because now he comes to me. This oh, is, good gosh. This is the best. So, Racer Cycle Service. I've, I've gone to this mechanic at his shop in Provo, which is like three cities away, because he is so fantastic for like 15 years, 20 years. I don't know, as long as he's, as long as he's had his own shop. And before that, I went to the place where he worked, the shop where he worked before he went independent. But he, he, um, a developer recently uh, bought the building where he, you know, where he's been located for a long time uh, to knock it down and build apartments or something like that. And he decided that rather than relocate it, he would buy himself a cool van and put a nice wrap on it and become Racer's mobile service. And now right. you set an appointment. He comes to your house, sets up an awning, and does same-day service for whatever you want. Takes wow. care of it and goes, uh, you know, whatever the cost would be, you know, and it's, you're going to get, you're going to get your bike taken care of that day at your house. And it is so awesome. It is so awesome to have the bike shop come to you. I um, love it. I, well, I just like the Velofix, uh, you know, that we've been talking about in other episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty great. It um, is. Yeah, this is just. But more now we've now we've uncovered that. a shame that we weren't even looking for. <laughs> ha. <laughs> oh, but I'm totally not ashamed at all. I I I oh. love this kind of convenience. I buy every. I mean, it, I would never have expected that I would have basically an Amazon.com experience for my bike repairs. It is awesome. It is awesome. So I'm going to have him on my podcast soon. Oh, cool. So, yeah. I'm going to get him on the fatty cast. I don't know if he's going to, I don't know if he's going to charge me standard rates to talk. Him <laughs> but fair enough if he does. Right. Yep. All right. Hey, come, come fix my bike and talk into a microphone while you do it. All right. <laughs> this is enough podcasting. I think let's, yeah. let's have some, let's have some outro music and call it an episode. Uh, episode do you want to do you want to say anything that you're doing on uh on red kite prayer before we do uh wrote a piece that just went up yesterday about the perfect murder so oh, sweet. there you go sweet um i i will have to read that i haven't read that yet i am doing episode after episode of the rockwell relay which will be followed as soon as i'm done with episode after episode of the race I'm doing this weekend, which will be the Crusher and the Tusher. And yeah, I wish I could be that. there for that. Yeah, I think Michael's going to be at that one, isn't he? Uh, there was talk. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, it'd be cool to meet him in real life. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Groovy. Follow, follow Red Kite Prayer on Twitter. Follow Fat Cyclist on Twitter. I think it's uh, at Red Kite Prayer and at Fat Cyclist. Follow us on our blogs, redkiteprayer.com and fatcyclist.com. And... For crying out loud, review this podcast on iTunes. If you don't, we're going to have to keep doing episodes like this, and you just don't want that. You just don't. <laughs> Come back soon, Hottie. 